Hey there, and welcome to another episode of Scopophilia. We are the millennial movement. And I, of course, am your host, Becky Teller. Now, if my voice sounds a little weird in the next uh, two episodes that we have coming out, this two-part interview that I have for you this week and next week, (laughs) it's because uh, I caught a summer cold, which really was not part of the summer plan uh, in any regard. But uh, if you are curious as to why I may sound a little more nasally than usual and a little less NPR smooth, that's why. (laughs) But enough about me. You look great, as always. And I have another very exciting interview for you. Now, I have a strange work background, um, to say the least. And this interview is so interesting and fascinating to me because of that. Um, I used to work in a business college, so I know a lot of business terminology and, you know, the business curriculum and things like that. And I used to hang out, um, around. I shouldn't say hang out uh, with the students, but I used to hang around a lot of accounting and finance people. And the fun thing about this interview with my special guest, David Abbott, or Dave as he likes to be called, uh, is that that's what he does for movies. He is the finance guy for movies on Netflix and TV shows and all of those fun things. And so it was kind of like bringing the two worlds that I know about uh, together in one interview. And so it was just a delight. I'll stop talking because this interview was so fascinating to me. And Dave is just somebody who exudes a love of film and a love of television and a love of producing and and also has a, a business side, a business sense of how things get made. And so without further ado, my interview with David Abbott about his career as a production finance executive. Enjoy. Scopophilia is the newest thing to hit the market. Defined as deriving aesthetic pleasure from looking at something, it's the new craze sweeping the nation. Taken in large doses, side effects can include an addictive nature to have more film content. If this increase occurs, consult no one and keep listening. Scopophiliacs, and welcome back to Scopophilia, the podcast. We are doing summer sessions, talking with interesting people who work in the industry. And today we have a very special guest, David Abbott. Hi, how are you? Hi, I'm well. How are you, Becky? It's good to see you. Fantastic. It's wonderful to see you. I know we chatted a little bit yesterday and very excited to kind of get into this. And so correct me if I'm wrong, I might have the switched words. So you are a Executive finance producer. Is that correct? <laughs> is that completely wrong? <laughs> that is completely wrong. Okay. Um, uh, you've got some, the words are in there. So I'm actually a production finance executive <sighs> at Netflix in original series. Currently. Gotcha. Yeah, it's just the dyslexia got me all confused. It's fine. <laughs> no worries. And so, you know, tell me a little bit about, you know, what does that 
mean? Because I think, like we were kind of talking yesterday, I think a lot of people, when thinking about making film and television and, and all of those fun things, uh, they think more of like the kind of production design creative aspect and not so much the kind of business side of things. And so tell me what, what, what do you do? What is your role in that whole process? So what I do is I partner with cross-functional partners, particularly with um, physical production, the physical production executive on our original series. And um, I engage with them on planning and execution um, of the series production from a financial and logistical perspective. So, you know, it, that means that typically I, I become engaged in the process very early. We'll identify a property that we either have already purchased or that we want to purchase or license. And um, I am brought in to work with other members of the cross-functional team to um, determine how much we think we can make the show for, where we feel like we can make the show. It, you know, we, we tr usually try and come up with a couple of different scenarios, you know, like a, like a low-cost, median-cost-and-higher-cost uh -huh. scenario. And so we'll say, you know, um, maybe you want to do, if it's like a show that takes place in Florida, well, we can shoot it in Florida. It's going to be very expensive. Right. We could, so that's one scenario, right? We'll do it in Florida, mm -hmm. uh, which is probably the higher cost scenario. And then on the, on the median cost scenario, maybe we go somewhere like, um, somewhere overseas, maybe like somewhere in Europe. Where, oh, okay. You know, maybe there if we can find like a kind of a, a beach, probably not. Right. But maybe Europe, <laughs> maybe Europe's the wrong region. So, okay, let's go for a medium. We'll say like South Africa. Okay. You can get Florida and South Africa, right? Uh -huh. And um, for the low cost, maybe we would do like the Dominican Republic or you know Puerto Rico or something like that. So we try and we try and uh, build out these scenarios and kind of look at various ways that we could engage in production. And then once we kind of set a course, uh, I'm involved in the, in the preliminary budgeting of the show mm -hmm. and, um, and we start hiring people from there to do the, the work for us basically. And we <laughs> help, to help work in concert with the external production partners, the, the executive producer, you know, the showrunner, the, the, um, non-writing producers, um, the director, the, to start hiring crew members, our creative team internally, we work with them. So it's a, it's a real, uh, um, it takes a village, right? So it's, yeah. uh, it's a joint effort. Absolutely. And so, That's I mean, a this long winded answer for <laughs> what should have been a short question. No, no. I mean, I think it's great. I, I, I don't know a lot about that aspect of the world. And so it's interesting to hear, you know, what you're doing exactly. And, and, and so tell me a little bit about, um, cause you had sent me your background a little bit. And so how did you kind of stumble 
into this? Was this something that like you've always wanted to do? Is this something that you kind of fell into? You know, what's, what's the story there? So um, it's really funny we're having this discussion because earlier, just, just a couple of hour, hours ago, I met with a new colleague, someone mm-hmm. who has just joined uh, the studio in, in um, a different department. And he's an attorney and he, he comes from uh, a more traditional legal background. Right. And I said to him, you know, what, what made you, is this something you always wanted to do? Did you always want to work in film and television? He said, yeah, I did. And so it's really, you know, he said, I really feel like there's, how did he put it? You know, the old, um, everything happens for a reason. Right. Mm, Yeah. Um, And I say it's serendipitous. Um, I knew when I was very young that I wanted to work in this industry. I thought that I wanted to be an actor. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I tried. Um, I wasn't trained as a, as a child, but my mother took me to an agency and I, I did a cold read for an agency and was promptly told no. But I really wanted to be, I was, I was absolutely in love with the idea of making film and television out of make-believe, you know, just to be able to create a world and then have that world be actually realized in the physical Mm -hmm. and to be a part of that process and to, and then to actually work in that world. I'm still, I get very giddy even now at my it, it, you know, after many, many years in the industry, after 30 plus years in the industry, mm-hmm. I still get really excited when I go to set. Like, I love going to set and seeing how we make worlds out of nothing. You know, right. like, yeah, it's, it's, that is my favorite part of the process. You know, I'm, I, the, there's, uh, there was a show. If you don't mind me going on a tangent, I'll tell you. Oh, please do. Tell me all about it. <laughs> so there, was a, there was a show that I worked on when I first started um, back in the studio system, which was back in 2014. Um, I was hired as an associate director of production finance at um, Fox Television Studios, which Fox Television, when you, when I say Fox Television Studios, you're probably thinking of like the X-Files and, you know, these really big network shows. <laughs> But Fox had several different divisions, and FTVS was a smaller studio within kind of big Fox, right? Mm-hmm. And it was a great place to be because there were only like 60 people at the studio, and we were making really kind of more um, economical shows, you know, smaller budget shows. Like I th- the studio had done like The Shield, and okay. that was a big one for it. And we did the first season of Fargo there, and so... You know, kind of, yeah, for FX. So we, so basically, we did work for everybody. It wasn't just Fox. We we would work. You know, we we made we made stuff for Netflix while I was there. We made stuff for FX. We made stuff for Nat Geo while I was there. So, um, but I remember um, the first show I visited um, after starting there was a show called The Glades, which was a little show that actually shot in Florida. Uh, back in 2014, I think I was on season two. And um, they had a huge stage facility there. It was really big. I mean, uh, 
I don't know, maybe the, the main stage must have been a 12,000 foot facility. Oh, wow. just <laughs> Enormous. And um, they had built, because it was season two, they had standing sets from season one that they had, you know, either mothballed or, or, or left up that they rebuilt on the stage. And then also they were adding, you know, so it was a really big set. And I just remember walking onto, it's so fun to walk onto a set and you're, you like walk into somebody's house, you know, and like yeah. there's stairs over here and I go over to the staircase and of course the staircase doesn't go anywhere. <laughs> you know, right. <laughs> and the, the stairs go down and, you know, at the floor, <laughs> the stage is raised. Mm-hmm. And then the stairs that go up go to, you know, which where, you know, one of the craftspeople will hang a light or something or, you know, put a, put a scrim or something. So, um, <laughs> right. Uh, and it's just, but it's always so fun to like go onto these sets and like, just see what the art directors have done and what the production designers have done. And then of course, to watch the actors work and, um, the directors and the, the craft service people and, um, you know, the drivers and, you know, I, I just love the process and love the, the, um, the engagement of making a making a series or a feature film. So anyway, Absolutely. that's well, how and I it's so it. funny. You're talking about it. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. And, and so, I mean, so I, let's go back even further. I mean, sure. so you wanted to be an actor, didn't quite work out. And so then you just, how did you get to the point of, I can do finance for the movies. Like when was that kind of aha moment for you? (laughs) I think um, it wasn't quite an aha moment. It was. um, So I started. So, so I, I got my first job working in the industry when I was 18, right out of right. It was basically a summer job. Uh, And I, you know, and then I went to college and I was in college and a friend of mine and I was just bouncing around from job to job. And a friend of mine called me who graduated from UCLA and she was working on the back lot at Walt Disney. And she said, there is an opening right. here for a staff production assistant. Would you be interested in, in coming over? And I said, sure. I fully did not expect to get it. I was going up against college graduates and I was certain that a traditional studio, a studio with the gravitas of the Walt Disney company would have absolutely zero interest in hiring, right. you know, a guy that was not degree needed. <laughs> and, um, and I had some exposure to the mm-hmm. Disney backlot funny, funny story. Um, right after I'd gotten my first car, I rear ended, I was drag racing on Ventura Boulevard and I rear ended like a studio executive one night and he was so cool. <laughs> like I, his pregnant wife was in the car. I was, <laughs> I was mortified. I was a terrible kid, but I was mortified. And, um, he, um, <laughs> he agreed to let me pay, like pay for the damage. Like I could pay him, you know, in cash. So I would right. go to the Disney backlot uh-huh. and like pass off like envelopes of cash to him. And he was a big deal. His name was, um, <laughs> he's, I think he's still oh my God. Sander Schwartz. He was a big, big deal. He was like, um, like a senior vice president on 
at Walt Disney. And he had offered to, to get me into the, the mailroom there, but it just never uh, happened and never worked out. Which would have been the most amazing way in is if I, you know, some <laughs> right. delinquent had rear-ended his car and he gets him a job in the mailroom. But um, anyway, I ended up getting this right. job, <laughs> uh, uh, which was a, w- the job was working in um, a department called production services, and basically we were the gatekeeper for. Um, Grip, electric, camera, cell phones, craft service, catering, anything, any, anything other than anything that was an appetite piece on a film or a series, we, we had, and we had inroads to the vendors for, we were the bane of line producers on the Disney backlot. They hated us because my boss <laughs> had, had sweetheart deals with all these with all of these um, uh, uh, equipment houses in town. And so they'd be, you know, they would go and do their due diligence and then come in and say, look, I've got this great uh, grip and electric package. Like we're going to go with this house. And then my boss would say, hold on just a minute. No, you're not. We're going to bring it over here and we'll take a look at it. And we would look (laughs) at the deal. That was my best John Reed impression. May he rest in peace. Uh, um, But, um, (laughs) <laughs> we, would, we would take the deal and and then we would underbid them and thoroughly anger them, right? It was we were despised. But we had a locations department in-house too, which was so I got to see like I would see budgets, I would see show budgets, and I'd be looking at what things were costing, you know, what what were the grip and electric deals costing? What were the camera packages costing? What made up a camera package? So I was learning about all the equipment. And I was getting this like very broad overview catering what what did catering cost you know all of this all of this stuff and um and so that was like that was where i finished my college i quit i quit college and i went i finished my my college education if you will on the disney backlot and then um i just after um i was laid off i was actually laid off there was um Marty Katz was the head of production at Disney at the time when I was hired. And Marty was Mm -hmm. Marty's the way that Marty managed uh, Marty, forgive me if you're listening, but the way that Marty managed was he would give six people the same job, knowing that one of them would get it done fastest. So that, (laughs) that was, you know, he, so he really built up the staff on the back lot there. And frankly, the department that I worked in was totally superfluous, right? There was no reason right. for us to exist. That's why you hire line producers and UPMs is to get good deals on this stuff. We're, you know, we're, they were basically finding themselves at odds with the studio over this, which is not, not a good thing. So um, right. anyway, when Marty was, was when his contract wasn't renewed a couple of years later, my department was predictably uh, <laughs> reduced and then uh-huh. eventually it was eradicated. And um, uh, so I, you know, I started uh, production being a production assistant mm-hmm. and I went, I was freelance and I worked on um, some really fun projects. I worked on a, on a pilot for um, CBS a remake of Topper 
which oh. never saw air. It was great. <laughs> that was like the first thing I worked on after leaving Disney, and it was directed by John Landis. Okay. And um, after uh, produced by Leslie Bellsberg and Robert Katz, and after um, uh, I had finished production on that they asked me to stick around and be like their post pa so i so i was like in the office on the universal backlot which was great because they have the best soft serve ice cream in the world <laughs> or they do on the universal backlot and i had the run of the place so that was really like amazing and then um i produced a i you know i bounced around i was i was a production assistant for a while then i was then i got someone asked me to be a post supervisor on a show or post coordinator on a show and I did that. And then I, I came up w- uh, with a friend uh, with an idea for a, a reality-based ghost hunting show. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and we shot a pilot. We, sh- we actually went out and, and shot a pilot for it and edited it and sold it to T- – or licensed it, I should say, to TLC. They never bought the series, never put it, put it to series, but um, – and then about 10 years later or something like that, you know, like ghost adventures. Right. Like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Just 10, a decade too early. Right. Um, <laughs> ahead of your time already. <laughs> yeah. Ahead of my time. You know what? In, in truth, like ghost adventures is a much better show, but um, <laughs> they did it right. We, we, our show was a little bit stayed and dull. Okay. It, was, it was, I mean, it was exciting for us, but it, you know, I, <laughs> in comparison, it just was not as compelling television as like the stuff that, uh, ghost adventures does or, uh, most haunted, which was out of the UK. They did a very good job. Gotcha. So I produced that. And then, um, um, I, the 94 earthquake happened and, and, and also, uh, up, up to that point in 93, I was a bar- one of Barbara Streisand's assistants. That was, a, that was, oh. a yeah, that was interesting. That was great. I love Barbara. She's wonderful. Um, interesting, interesting, uh, six months of my life. And then, um, <laughs> the 94 earthquake happened and I'd been just kind of bouncing around as a PA and assistant and I, and I just didn't really know what I was going to end up doing. And I knew I wanted to produce, but, um, my wife and I at the time, my wife at the time and I lost everything in that 94 earthquake. We were completely shattered by it. And, um, my father, uh, lived on the East coast in New Jersey. Hey, or from you, uh, a couple hours away. Uh, and, um, he said, you know, how, uh, how would you feel about coming here and um, taking over my business? And so my wife and I talked about it and I decided let's try it. And I went and I lasted for about a year and I just decided that um, selling uh, barbecues and fireplaces just wasn't for me. (laughs) And, um, and we came back to LA and I was doing freelance writing like journalism and, um, on the mostly on the nascent internet at the time, you know, it was 95. So like the web was happening. And, um, and, um, I got a call from a friend who had been a production accountant and he was a very good friend, very close friend. And he was now producing, he was line producing a film that he had put together with a couple of partners of his. And he said, why don't you come, and be my production accountant on this 
independent film. And now when I say independent film, if you don't mind me asking, like, what do you think, how much do you think a budget of an independent <laughs> film would be today? What's a, what's a reasonable budget? Today, yeah. uh, today I would say 100000 Right. That sounds reasonable. <laughs> right, That's yeah. Re- the last independent film that I, I actually consulted on was seventy thousand dollars. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So you're so hundred thousand. You know, listen, uh, kids. Uh, <laughs> if you want to make a movie, a hundred thousand dollars is a good budget point to try and make it at, right? Right. <laughs> um, this the budget on this independent film was six point seven million dollars. <laughs> what? Yeah, it was. Uh, it, it, but and by the standards then, that was not a lot of money. Wow. Now, it's, I remember um, at the company that I worked for uh, just prior to, to coming back to L.A., um, um, or just prior to leaving L.A., I should say, somebody was talking about making an independent film for like $500,000, and I'm like, you can't do that. <laughs> Nobody could make a movie for $500,000. That's insane. <laughs> and and now we're doing it for $100,000. But um, – but, um, it was six point seven million, which was a very small budget back then, and it was non-union, right? So, so we were going to shoot for um, we were going to shoot for two weeks in Las Vegas, mm-hmm. and then finish the rest of the film in Los Angeles. And the director was uh, the guy who directed Repo Man, Brian Cox. Oh, okay, fascinating character, an interesting man, uh, and a great director, I think, and. Um, uh, we, we, so he, this guy came to me and he said, you know, why don't you do this movie? And I said, you know, I don't know the first thing about production accounting. And he had been a production accountant. So he said, you want to be a producer? And I said, well, yeah, you know, I want to be a producer. And he said, it's the fastest way to be a producer. And he basically wrote me in and I'm like, all right, I guess I'm going to go do this. Like I'm running now. I'm a production accountant. And he said, you know, I've got an assistant for you. We're going to bring an assistant. On. Don't worry. She's never really done this before either, but you know, uh, you, I'll tell you everything. It'll be fine. So we start and, um, and I'm, you know, budgeting, working on the budget and doing cash flows and learning about production accounting software and payroll things that I really hadn't done before, but I, you know, I'd done some light bookkeeping. So I knew how to work a 10 key and I understood like Excel. Right. right? So, you know, listen, general accounting is just bookkeeping is just adding and subtracting really. And at the time, that's really what production accounting was. It was just general bookkeeping. You know, you had your, you had your, your um, cost accounts, Mm -hmm. your budget, your budget items, and then you had a trial balance for your assets and your liabilities, and you just had to kind of get used to like how those worked and how they worked together. And then there's payroll, of course. But I was drowning. Uh, I was uh, <laughs> failing. Uh huh. Failing miserably. Um, we so we went away. We we all go to Las Vegas, and we're staying at like the the worst hotel, <laughs> the worst <laughs> hotel off the strip in Vegas that you can possibly imagine. I got I have more stories from this show than any practically any other movie I ever worked on. There was some crazy crazy shit that went on on this show, um, and. Um, 
so we're we're staying at this really shitty hotel, and I'm my office quote office unquote is in a is in one of the conference rooms at this hotel. It's like where our production offices are. Right, it's just a desk, and and you know if this were happening today, this would never you could never get away with this today. Like <laughs> you know I'm the production accounting office is out in the open. You know, right. everybody else, my petty cash is out in the open with everybody. You know, there's just like, there was all, it was like bananas. And sure enough, about a week after we get to Vegas to start prep, the Teamsters come a calling and they're like, Hey, you guys got, can't come in here and make a $7 million feature and not to, and think we're just going to stand idly by and watch. Right. We got people to put to work. And it's the Las Vegas Teamsters, so you're not right. saying no. And once the Teamsters get involved, then IATSE gets involved, and so now we're a full and now we're a full boat union show. And mm-hmm. I am learning on the fly, full boat union payroll, and not learning and not having an easy time of it. It is slow, tedious work. And by the way, dealing with 250, 300 time cards a week plus SAG payroll, plus WGA payroll, plus DGA payroll. It was a lot for just me and an assistant who didn't know what she was doing. So um, somehow or another, got back from Vegas. Uh, I was working uh, 17-hour days and got back from Vegas and uh, knew that I was failing miserably. Payroll wasn't getting made. I I wasn't getting stuff out. I think I was barely making it on time. Most weeks, some weeks, not. I think the SAG payroll had been piling up and I hadn't been getting it done. And um, now I think I know. And um, uh, I, w- I went home to my wife uh, one night um, and I was, in, I was crying. I was in tears. And I said, I'm failing. I'm not, this is not, I'm underwater. I'm working 17 hour days. I can't keep up. I, I can't do this anymore. I was exhausted. I was, uh, it was just not a good, not a good time. And she said, my wife, at the, my ex, now ex-wife, God bless her. <laughs> she said, you may not quit. You may not quit. She said, if you get fired, I'll accept that. <laughs> but if you somehow survive this without getting fired, you'll have a career. And um, sure enough, uh, my friend, oh, I forgot to tell you this part. My friend who was like, I'll show you everything. The line producer, he was fired after two days of shooting in Vegas. Oh so no. Gone, right now. The, the, the person who was our UPM on that show has gone on to an, a great career. Her name was, it, her name is Dara Weintraub. Dara has gone on to a fantastic film career. She's been the executive in charge of production at major companies and is a highly regarded and respected producer. And this was her opportunity to step up. And Dara liked me. Thank you, Dara, wherever you are. She liked (laughs) me and she, she fought for me not to be fired. And she knew an accountant named Sharon Weiss, who she had worked with prior. And they brought this woman, Sharon Weiss in. And once Sharon, they brought this experienced accountant in, to basically show me the process, how to move paper mm-hmm. through a production accounting office. And once I understood how to do that, everything clicked. 
And I was it, once I understood how, what the cadence of of workflow was within the accounting office and how how it worked with the other areas of production, namely the ADs. Mm-hmm. Um, I under I got it, and um, and I made it through the show, and um, um, I, I won't say the show was in good shape when I handed it off to the to Mark Damon Productions. Uh-huh. Uh, it was in as good a shape as I could make it. There right. were also, there were some loose ends that needed to be cleaned up on the trial balance, but um, the cost report was right and. Um, and I knew, I, I now knew what I was doing. And my next show, I decided, okay, I'm going to take a much smaller show because the, yeah. the difference between a $7 million show and a $1 million show really from an, from the accounting office perspective at that time, because mm-hmm. it really was accounting, uh, was just paper, the amount of paper that would come through the office. So I wanted to do something that gave me the opportunity to, to ensure for myself that I knew what I was doing and, and that I could manage. So I wanted to start small. So I took a $1.25 million feature and killed it. <laughs> and, um, and it was me and I, I hired an assistant, a friend of mine, and I, I actually taught him. He's gone on to have a great career. And um, um, we just absolutely murdered the show. Like it, when I turned that show over, it was just squeaky clean. And, and I got a career out of it. But um, from there, I went on to eventually, uh, you know, I, I, I always had an entrepreneurial spirit. So um, I worked my way up to um, production supervising. Mm-hmm. And then I got approached about um, getting involved in like a, a reality slash web dating hybrid that I was going to be an owner of. And so I tried that and we ultimately uh, didn't succeed that we we just didn't have the technology wasn't there yet for us so uh, it didn't work out gotcha. but i ended up going back to work um as a production accountant and then eventually becoming a line producer um and then um i started a company um in uh, a film company an independent film company and i was the um managing partner of the film company and we made a couple movies and um the first one was about a two million dollar budget and the second one was about a seven million dollar budget and unfortunately they were good movies i think they were good movies but unfortunately they just didn't do the business you know Mm -hmm. in 2013 i think the business really started to change from especially the features business really started to change like around the around 2010, 2011, you know, some might argue even earlier than that, like 2005, when um, home video, the home video market just started dry up, right? Streaming right. Really started mm-hmm. to take over, and um, it changed the economics so much that um, independent film just became very, very difficult, a very difficult market to compete in, and also I. Uh, it's not entirely the market's fault. I also was not knowledgeable enough. I think, I think I jumped in with both feet and, um, and I didn't ask enough questions and I wasn't humble enough. <laughs> gotcha. And, yeah. And, you know, I, 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 I think that, um, you know, we, both of the movies that we, that we, um, put money into and produced, uh, made money. They just didn't make their money back. Mm. And so in 2014, I, I, you know, I had to get a job. 
And um, that's when, uh, you know, I had to go back to work for someone yeah. other than myself. And so I, that's when I ended up back at Vox. And then I was at Vox for a couple of years and um, eventually was tapped to um, uh, as the vice president of production finance at Fox 21, um, which okay. produced um, Homeland. Oh, uh, yes. And, um, yeah. And um, Sons of Anarchy mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Ryan Murphy stuff. So bigger shows. And then uh, Netflix came calling and I, and I jumped into Netflix. <laughs> and so here you are. are. And here, and th- that was the half hour version <laughs> of my career. <laughs> we love it. This is what we're here for. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Of course. You. Of course. A huge thank you to David Abbott for coming on the show and starting the conversation about his unbelievably interesting career as a production finance executive. I'm I'm pretty sure that's right. I'm going to get it right one of these times. But anyway, thank you so much for listening. This has been part one of our conversation with Dave, as always, or at least as always for the summer sessions that we have been doing this summer. Next week, we will be having part two and our conclusion of this interview. So stay tuned for that next week. As always, if you liked the show, you can uh, do a couple things on the interwebs, on the internet. Uh, You can make sure that you are rating, reviewing, and subscribing to the show. It always helps us out a lot, and I love hearing from you guys. Uh, You can also follow us on Instagram, at scopophilia underscore podcast, or we do also have a TikTok, at scopophilia the podcast. You can follow us on any of those things, and make sure that you are telling your friends and your family and your family of friends and your friends of family about the show, because we just want to keep talking about movies with you and all of those other people in your life who also love movies and everything about them. As always, I'm your host, Becky Teller, leading the millennial movie movement here on Scopophilia. And I'll see you all next Friday. Bye!